Father, we thank you for a fresh new morning of campaigning here. And we pray for the Holy Spirit to guide us, grant us wisdom. Make us students sitting at your feet. We want to understand the scriptures, truth, the God we worship, and we need your help. Grant us your grace, mercy, and forgiveness as well this morning for blank new page in our life. Pray for all the seminars, the speakers, facilitators, and we ask for your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. The topic of um, of the of the Trinity, we are going to we're going to do something like this, maybe it's better. I'm I'm not an optometrist, but I think the contrast is better here. Now, the the topic of the of the of the Trinity is a is a kind of 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 revival issue nowadays. So my idea is this: with you, in order to 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 start working together upon this. I prepared this work uh, that is on, on the Trinity, essentially. Uh, the title is The God We Worship, because every single moment in which we are worship, worshiping the Lord, we are uh, singing songs regarding God, regarding Jesus, and regarding the Holy Spirit, you know? And, and finally, it's the God we worship. And that's the reason and the rationale for the title of, of the book. However, in the book, you are going to find out, and please track the references based upon first the Bible, because I am trying in the book, or I try in the book, to, uh, to work out the foundation of this small book um, based upon a simple text coming from the Bible, Old and New Testament, basically, uh, that, is, that is the rationale. Uh, regarding the quotation of Ellen G. White, I pulled them, all of them, in the back of, of the book. Why? Because if this is going to be shumped in the hands of some Pentecostals, Evangelicals, or somebody else, they're going to say, well, Seventh-day Adventists are based only in Ellen G. White writing. And I'm going to say, no, that is not truth. What we are going to be based is upon the Bible. And we are going to examine some of the information coming from the Bible. So in the presentation in the morning, what we are going to do is I... I I'm giving this to you to read and evaluate, and if you have questions, we're going to open a moment in the afternoon uh, to do that. Today, I'm going to start with a question I already received for, for the topic or regarding the, the Trinity and the Godhead. And, and we are going to evaluate what is the foundation of the topic in the pioneers of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Um, there is a kind of revival today 
And, uh, and this is not a, an evangelical revival, but it's a kind of revive of the topic of the questioning regarding the topic of the Godhead in the church. And that is a reason why here at the beginning, I'm going to review with you, and I've been telling Ingo when, uh, when I began to this, say, Ingo, this is not a theology class. This is for lay people. For if, if I'm going to do my presentation in the church, I'm going to do it this way, you know. And, um, and uh, these are our beliefs. If you go into the internet and you see and you ask yourself what the Seventh-day Adventist church believes, okay, these are our beliefs. And uh, this is what we call the, the 28 fundamental beliefs. First is the Holy Scriptures. The second is the Trinity with that name. And we are going to explore, by the way, about the word Trinity and what is our belief in regarding our position together with the um, Catholicism, because some people say Trinity is a Catholic word, and uh, and this then we are copying into the Seventh Day Adventist Church some things coming from Catholicism. By the way, it is an answer in the book, and there is a section of question and answer, and there is an answer for that. But we are going to detail about that, and you are going to see. We believe in the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. So when, when you are, or somebody is denying the, um, the Trinity, certain sense, they are impacting the concept of Holy Scriptures, is impacting our second point of belief, and or the four of the fifth, and sometimes all together. So uh, that is part of the problem that we are having here. By the way, there are sectors in the church in which there are people questioning the creation also. Years ago, when I was in California, I was with one of the evangelists of General Conference in one place in which there were several Seventh-day Adventist churches, and he says to me, Daniel, you look around here, there are several, several, Seventh-day Adventist churches, but I don't know how many of them believe 28 fundamental beliefs. So when thinking in that, I began to say, well, maybe we need to review about, about that. So the nature of humanity, the great controversy is the eight, life, death, and resurrection of Christ, experience of salvation, growing in Christ. By the way, this is probably the last one of the fundamental beliefs. It comes in, uh, into, the, into the set of the 28 fundamental beliefs in St. Louis in 2005, growing in Christ. And the church is the 12th remnant and its mission, unity in the body of Christ uh, is the 14, and the 15 is baptism, the Lord's Supper is the 16, and spiritual gifts and ministries, and 18 is the gift of prophecy, and the law of God, Sabbath is the 20, 
and the 21st is to worship, and 22nd is Christian behavior, morning, and marriage and family, 23rd, and 24th is Christ ministry in heavenly sanctuary, and the second coming of Christ, the death and resurrection, millennium, and the end of sin and new earth is the 28th. This is our beliefs, and you will go to the website of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in the internet, you are going to find that, that, that point. It's important maybe to review those things and to see that, but we need to remember something. This fundamental beliefs that we call today fundamental beliefs were known and accepted by all the pioneers of the Seventh-day Adventist Church It's an interesting question, because when we go to the pioneers, what we are going to see is that during the time of the pioneers, the pioneers um, is this. Pioneers has been and is a, a, a generic name to identify the group of former Seventh-day Adventists that began to give the first elemental steps in what we know today as Seventh-day Adventists. By the way, the pioneers didn't know that they were pioneers. They didn't call themselves pioneers. Just they were starting a new movement, and sometimes they call movement. Even they, they didn't use the word church at the beginning. And remember something, <coughs> at the beginning there was a fight very big regarding the name. You remember that. So when you go to, to history books of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, what you are going to perceive is that thing. And we need to, to amold themselves into this. The pioneers have a multi-denominational background behind. What does it mean? that they were coming, like every one of us, from different backgrounds. My wife, for example, she's, she's with, um, what I will say, um, Switzerland, Argentinian, Italian background. So she's served for four generation of Seventh-day Adventists. And, um, and probably if I began to ask questions here, you are going to begin to say, well, my background is Lutheran, my background is Catholic, my background is Evangelical, my background is, you know, a diversity of background. My background, my, myself, is Catholic. I used to be altar boy when I was a kid. So the pioneers were coming from a different um, um, sort of backgrounds and you are going to see that here, Christian Connection, Methodists, Lutherans, Presbyterians, and so on. Majority of them were Christian Connection. Christian Connection. And Christian Connection was an independent movement. And, and one of, uh, of the characteristics of Christian Connection is that they do not believe in the Trinity. Here, here is reference about the Christian connection. So, yeah. It's not that they didn't believe, it's that they allowed the individual to decide whether they believe in the Trinity or the Yes. 
Christian Connection or Christian Connection with X was a Christian movement in USA that developed in several places during the 19th century. By the way, it's disappeared, not any longer, Christian Connection. I cannot tell to you, go to Boston, Massachusetts, you are going to find out Christian Connection based upon them. No, there is no. They, they, they disappear in history. It was made up of secessions from several different religious denominations. It was influenced by settling the frontier as well as the formation of the new United States at its separation from Great Britain. The Christian Connection uh, claimed to have no creed, instead professing to rely strictly on the Bible. So that you have here the picture of the Christian Connection. And when, when the, you think here, Christian Connection, we didn't put names, but there are a lot of pioneers connected with that. Uriah Smith, James White, you know, it's uh, some of them. Um, Captain Bates, another uh, of, of those. So, so when, when we are given those names, probably you are going to see those names very well represented in the Review and Herald and articles and thinking. So that kind of thing is quite interesting. And I, I'm not going to bring some complexities here, but remember something. Ellen White was not Christian Connection background. She was Methodist background. So remember also that there was another thing in the pioneers that they didn't have. We, today, we do have um, fundamental beliefs, okay? They didn't. They didn't. There was not, at the beginning, a fundamental beliefs in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And you are going to, sometimes, when you visit places, you discover things. When you go to Battle Creek, by the way, how many of you are Michiganders? How many of you? So there are some visitors here. So um, um, take advantage of the time here, if you can do it, and go to visit Battle Creek. And um, in the, for me, it's a, it's a quite important experience from time to time uh, to go to Battle Creek because there is a lot of pioneers in that place. At some point, some point, there were inhabitants walking in Battle Creek and preaching in the churches and teaching and writing. And they were in the Rivian Herald and they were in, in General Conference and they were uh, traveling abroad and they were preaching the gospel in other places. And they were evangelists and, uh, and they were authors, writers. You are going to find out the place, the grave of Uriah Smith, Shane White, Ellen G. White, and the Kellogg's. And by the way, you are going to find out that uh, in the calm of the cemetery, where nobody is speaking any longer or, or shouting or preaching any longer, there is a lot of people that sometimes work with difference each other. And big difference and fighting for doctrines and teachings in the church. And, and you are going to find also some kind of curiosities in history. For example, the uh, wife of Kellogg, she was a seven-day 
Baptist. And you say, how in the world is that? How, how is it possible? Well, it's part of the thing because in the moment in which she accepted the Sabbath, she was going to the worship with her husband and there was not a problem for, for them. So that is part of what I will say, the curiosity of the pioneers. So you need to remember when we are speaking about the pioneers of the church, that the pioneers were in a process of time in which everything was evolving. Everything was in transformation. Everything was in transition. There was not everything settled yet. And, and we are in certain sense, uh, we are in that condition Nowadays, normally the Trinity appears in the Confession of Faith and in the Articles of Faith of some churches and systematic studies in the Bible were not yet developed. That is maybe a detail that is important. By the way, today when you are going to work with a Bible, um, um, you are going to see that technology is coming up in our, in our research. And when you open the Bible and you search one word, for example, you are going to find out that word in, across the whole Bible, okay? But there are programs in which you are opening that word and it's giving you the original and the time and the tense in the original and the format in the original and the meaning in the original and you're going to compare. They didn't have that chance. They, they, couldn't, they couldn't work in that condition, the pioneers. Okay? And sometimes they were fighting, and it's very clear in some articles, that they were fighting articles of faith that sometimes were so confused. And let me share with you something important. The topic of God is not an easy topic. And I'm not going to, to answer maybe all the questions that you might have. But um, let me share with you that I am more inclined to the Hebrew kind of thinking than to the Greek kind of thinking. Because the Greek tend to be more speculative. What is the nature of God? What is the essence of God? Do the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit share one person essence and that kind of thing? That is part of the vision of the Greek philosophy and, and thinking. That is not the Hebrew. The Hebrew were more relational, relational and they believe in the existence of the Lord and in the relationship with God, but there are, you are not going to find out all the, the complexities that the Greeks come, and when you are going to see that, you are going to perceive that this happened in, in the beginning of the big discussions about uh, the essence and the person and the personhood of this and the other and the other. The Bible basically says 
something, and that is the basic in that book that you have of myself. The Lord says, and the Lord says, for example, uh, let us make men according to our image. Okay? And you say, wow, I never thought about that. That is plural. And you go to the beginning and say, and the Lord says, it's singular, but when God speaks, it's plural, and after that, the text resumes and get back to the singular again, and, and, and God made do, 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 and you are going to see that kind of bouncing between the singular and the plural in the Bible. And my condition, my reflection is this. Let's accept the Bible as the Bible says. Do not enter into, into the speculation. Accept the Bible as it is written. Probably what some of the problems that we are having today is, is about the speculation. The other thing that you are going to see in the pioneers is church versus movement. Um, um, even, um, sorry for event, even the concept of church was not well accepted early. And uh, let me correct this because I prefer to do this. Um, okay. Even the concept, I mean, the concept of, of church was not well accepted early. They were a kind of movement. And that is the rationale for the the book of Leroy Edwin from Movement of Destiny. Remember you that book? Old, old book, of, of course. So the name charge was viewed too institutional, and there was a spirit of rejection of everything that was institutional. And, um, and we need to remember this. For me, this is a very critical topic, that is the pioneers do not have uh, or known the 28 fundamental beliefs of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I don't know if they were, I, I'm not go, going to, to go forward because sometimes there are people to say what will happen if we put all the fundamental beliefs with the pioneers or the pioneers in relationship with the fundamental beliefs. And some people say, like, like some authors, famous, not going to quote them, um, some of them probably they were not be Seventh Day Adventists, and uh, of course there are something that is very clear regarding that. Adding, discarding was part of the process. They were praying, fasting, studying the Bible, and uh, they were more biblical than theological. Uh, I don't know if you understand that what I'm saying. They are, not, uh, they are not going behind the great theologians. They, are, they were going to the Bible, and, and, uh, and the influence was the biblical writings, nor theological presuppositions of men. So this doctrinal evolving and changing produced sometimes conflict and discussion. But there was one spirit among the pioneers that we need to have sometimes in the church. Praying, fasting, and studying the Bible. 
Let me, let me share with you that I am sometimes, I, I, am, I, I, am, I am in pain sometimes in, in the church for, for this situation. Sometimes we need to intervene from the administration. And I've been several times in, in moments in which there are people fighting, you know, trying to convince and to change the, the view of, of the others. And, and this is beginning to produce some kind of conflict in the church. And I've been charging, and I've, excuse me, I've been, I've been seeing churches that I visited maybe 10, 15 years ago, in which there were a beautiful, beautiful building, beautiful community of people that in 10 years disappeared completely because of fighting and infighting for this sometimes topic. And I am paying for that. Believe me, I, I, I question myself what, what we need to do better for, for avoiding that kind of, of thing. Because that is, that is not in the spirit of the pioneers, by the way. If we need to recover something, it's that kind of a spirit in which they were to integrate each other in the big picture of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And, of course, the, the bigger thing in the, in the vision was this that is in yellow. The second coming and the Sabbath. Second coming and the Sabbath. And second coming and the Sabbath was so overarching everything <clears throat> that was over those other things. Remember, if, if we pull together all our backgrounds, Catholics, Presbyterian, Evangelical, Baptist, and Lutheran, and, and uh, whatever, you know, uh, into the church, how many articles of faith we are going to have if we are going to bring all together? A lot. A lot. So it's, it is impossible for, for, for the pioneers to pull all the things at the beginning. So they didn't. They were behind. They were studying the prophecies. And they discovered through the prophecies that the coming of the Lord was soon. And in the process, they discovered the truth regarding the Sabbath. And those teachings were the most important teachings for them. To the point that, till today, we do have the name in our, what I, I wouldn't say official, because it's not the official, but it's the most important and influential paper in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, that is Adventist Review. Remember that it was Review and Herald, and, uh, and of the Sabbath coming, of, of the Sabbath. Um, so that was of, 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 the, of the essence for them. For this reason, the magazine has been called Adventist Review and Sabbath Hera. Um, so for the pioneers, they were centered into that topic. So all the other things were not in the essence of those things. 
And uh, we need to remember also other things, um, and, uh, and we are going to review that in a moment. So they were in a concentration with no specific. Um, the high level of concentration in those teachings made them not to put attention to other doctrines and teachings like Trinity, the person of Jesus. The, also, the start of and the end of the Sabbath, you are going to see in the pioneers that that was a problem uh, or regarding that topic and the food and so on. These are the things in which the pioneers were, you know, later uh, discussing about that. And, and remember something that is regarding this topic of uh, uh, the, the importance of, the, um, of one of the pioneers, or what I would say, because he never made decision for Seventh-day Adventists, you know? I, I, am, I am talking about William Miller. William Miller, at, um, until the end, um, he became a Baptist, and he never took a decision regarding that, but, but he was the inspiration for the pioneers of, of the church. And he converted himself, he was a deist, and um, a Miller converted during the time in which he was in the army, um, battling against the British um, in, all, in all the section of, uh, of the north. And, um, and some things happened, and one for him was a real miracle for him. And he began to think in a change regarding that. He was thrown from a carriage, a fever, a shell fell within a few feet from him. Others were killed. He was untouched. And he began to think. They were, they were um, you know, numbers, statistics. They were about 1,500 regular troops plus 4,000 volunteers to fight 15,000 first-class troops coming back from Europe from, you know, fighting against Napoleon, and they won a victory upon those troops. And, and there was something uh, that was, was impossible to explain rational with the mathematics applied to the armies. And, um, and in the burial of one fellow soldiers, he began to reflect and listen um, a reflection when he says that theism had something to offer that theism did not have. You know, the, um, um, basically, uh, finally, he was called to, to, to preach. The, the difference between theism and theism, uh, theism derived from the Latin word Deus, God, and uh, is a theological, philosophical position that combines the rejection of revelation and authority as a source of religious knowledge. And that is part, probably, that is in the mind of several of the founders of this country. Deism. 
Remember, remember that. And there was a controversy regarding theism. And it's the belief on God as a creator of the universe that intervenes and sustains a personal relationship with his creatures. That is the difference uh, uh, regarding uh, to the other. Miller, um, he believes in the Bible, and he believes in the, he's, the, the Bible is the revelation from God, and he believes that Jesus was a personal savior and friend. And, um, and, um, and on Saturday morning, 1833, um, he, Miller promised to the Lord that if he receives an invitation to speak, he will go. And he was with a preconception that he will never receive that kind of invitation. One hour later, one hour later of that decision, somebody comes and uh, knock the door and invite him to preach. So those things, when you are, you know, when you are pulling all the information, you are going to say how in the world is possible. Some of you visit those places in, in the state of Vermont, up in New York, those, those areas. Let me share with you that we visit the places of, of, the, of the Miller. And uh, it's, in, it's not in Boston. It's, it's, it's far away, the, the downtown. There is, a, there is in the country... And um, when you see that, uh, he began to think something, something was behind everything regarding his life. And in 1840, there was a, an effort of the Millerite Adventists through the Seventh-day Adventist Baptist to promote the Sabbath among other Christian denominations. And 1802, remember, the Seventh-day Adventist General Conference was organized, and in 1841, there were 5,500 members in 50 churches with uh, about 62 ministers, Seventh-day Adventist, um, Baptist, I mean. By the way, till today, there are a few of them in several places, very close to uh, 3 a.m., very close to 3 a.m., there is a congregation, and a couple of the cameramen of 3 a.m., one of those were son of a pastor of Seventh-day um, Baptist. Seventh-day Baptist. So Seventh-day Adventists, oh, excuse me, Seventh-day Baptists still are alive and in place in, in some places. It's, it's not a growing congregation, but they were related with those movements at the beginning. So there was a double influence of Sabbath, Seventh-day Baptist tract on the Sabbath records and Rachel Oaks. And, um, and I'm going to enter here into, into, the, um, into this. Um, but I am trying in this, in this point just to let you know that in the pioneers, the doctrines and teachings were in an evolving process that was not fixed yet. And uh, Professor Bart and his university said, we learned from several sections that considerable numbers of those 
who are looking for the speedy appearance of Christ have embraced the seventh day and commenced observing it as the Sabbath. Now the believers in the speedy second coming um, advent stand in a position where they do not free bound by any creed and having sufficient self-denial to lead them to practice according to their conviction of duty are just a person to understand the requirements of the word of God in, in this matter. But in, the, in this topic, um, page 47. Wheeler, an itinerant Methodist Adventist minister, and uh, was the first Sabbath-keeping Adventist minister. And let me share with you that um, the, the way in which he learned about Sabbath was not an easy way because what, it was in a communion service. And uh, he led the service and invited uh, all the persons communion with Christ in such a service should be ready to follow him and obey God and keep his commandments in all the things. And Rachel Oaks was one of those members attending. And she was a thinker. And she said, if you say and believe it, you must do it. It's difficult to say that to a pastor, you know, in a religious service. And, um, and lately she explained and said, I wanted to tell you that you would better set that communion table back and put the clothes over it until you begin to keep the commandments of God. And the point, what was the point? Sabbath. Yes. That was the point. And, and, and in that way, he received the Bible study about the Sabbath. Uh, uh, today we are more polite in doing, you know, the Bible studies. And we are not going to do the persuasion through, this, through these ways. But um, uh, we are, you know, um, in, a, in a more Gentile way in explaining uh, and looking for the acceptance of the people. But, you know, I, I do have to commend the spirit of this pastor because he accepted the topic and he followed what she said based upon the Bible because he discovered that that lady was not speaking in a fighting spirit, but she was based upon the Bible and she was telling, let's do what the Bible says. And uh, sometimes in our church, we need to have more kind of compassion in our words when we disagree sometimes and um, loving kindness is good to have in our presentation because sometimes there are too much I don't know rage and uh, um, not good spirit and uh, that is yeah no, that's true. That, that is true. 
So the other thing is Joseph Bates. Um, Joseph Bates, and this is uh, an example of, of, of Bates, um, he wrote and he preached and he taught that um, we need to keep Sabbath when he discovered, by the way, and I visit the place in which, in that bridge, and when he discovered the Sabbath, he began to observe Sabbath, but he began to observe Sabbath finally um, and put a beginning date and a finish date, and that was from 6 p.m. to 6 p.m., the beginning and the end. So that was the vision. So at the beginning, you are going to find out the pioneers of the church, they were following a kind of fixed time in doing some things. Finally, James White, um, he wrote uh, in this article, some have the impression that six o'clock time has been taught among us by the direct manifestation of the Holy Spirit. This is a mistake from even to even. So he's quoting Bible here. Leviticus was the teaching from which six o'clock time has been inferred, he says that. And that is a good correction. And the church began to follow that kind of direction. By the way, this is, this is sometimes, and let me stop here for, for, for a moment. This is a good practice of the receiving the Sabbath and, um, and dismissing the Sabbath. How many of you follow this in your, in your home? How many of you? Okay, that, that, that is good. Because let me share with you that today this discipline is not kept any longer. And for me, that is a, that is a problem. Yes? Uh, the six o'clock time was not so much theological. It was based on Joseph Bates, who was a sea captain. And it, from a sea captain has to have nautical time, so it has to start and end at a certain time so that they can mathematically calculate it. So to him, from his mathematical experience as a sea captain, it ended, you know, it started at six o'clock. It was only later that they, you know, they realize that that wasn't the right idea. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, in, in, in the sea, by the way, in the sea, it's not an easy thing to establish the time for, for, for sunset. And uh, they have to base it on well, the Greenwich time. It's still based off of what the Jews were doing at the time. Well, it's based off of the, the, the English came up with the navigational skills. They, they based it on Eastern. Uh, <clears throat> they've got a certain time that they have set, and then they determine that time everywhere they are throughout the world. And you have to know when the time is. So that's why it became important to start from the evening started at six. Well, in my understanding, the, the Jewish people normally are, are following the scriptures from sunset to sunset. And, um, and there are indications, and there is in the Talmud, Ingo, please correct me if I am going wrong here. Uh, of the several things that you are going to serve me after. But, but uh, they were one hour, I understand, before, before sunset, they played the sofar to call the people that were working to, to leave the world. And an hour later, just to tell them, they made the sound of the sofar to make everybody knows that Sabbath was 
beginning. So they were they were following sunset, and um, and that is that is the that is the practice in general. I don't know. You've been in Jerusalem, isn't it? Uh, in, in the of course in the conservative uh, side of Jerusalem, well, we are not permitted sometimes to enter in those places without risking our lives. But they they are they are following very strictly that. And uh, any comment about that? I was at the Western Wall. The sun was still up, and they told me to put my camera away for the Sabbath. And my wife says, "Guard the edges of the Sabbath." It is it is quite interesting. We do have, by the way, certain um, colonies in in several places of Seventh Day Adventist people, and um, one is in Argentina and in the place of our university. And there is a lot of, of commerce in the place. And everything is closed, is closed uh, doors, probably one hour before sunset. And, um, and no, no dealings and no commerce open during the, the Sabbath time. And uh, that is, but you know, there are places in which we are beginning to receive the, the, the blessing of the world, put some brackets in blessing, uh, like Loma Linda. Like, uh, recently, they, there is a McDonald's in, in Loma Linda. And, uh, and, uh, and, and they were open you know, on, on Sabbath and so on. Until about four or five years ago in Loma Linda, the, the, even the mail did not distribute mail postage um, during the Sabbath time. But four years ago, they, they began to continue about that. But that, that is part of our, our problem in, in being in the, in the world with no being of the world, you know. And, um, but uh, we need to keep the... The boundaries at, at home. Even church organization was in, in evolution. And um, it is um, the, the topic of systematic benevolence um, was changing in those days, in the times of the pioneers. For example, the plan to spread the third angel's message in Battle Creek, Michigan, um, there is a and you are going to find out this, um, in 1859, there is a, a recommendation, su suggestion for systematic benevolence. Um, the published address include a biblical rationale, says, men from 18 to 60 were to set aside each first day from five to 25 cents. Women from the same range of age were to put aside from 10 cents, um, maybe uh, from one cent, excuse me, to 10 cents. And finally, those who own property were to set aside each week from one to five cents each on each uh, hundred or prop of property they own. Um, this is telling you that there was not a program Biblical days 
for the systematic benevolence regarding that. So let's, let's go um, to the topic of the Trinity. Well, James White called the, the Trinity the Trinitarian absurdity and inexplicable Trinity. And John Andrews, um, the Son of God, had a point of beginning in the past times. And Cornell said this is the fruit of a great apostasy. One common element and is regarding um, that some people think that this was coming from um, Catholic origin. Let me share with you in the book, in, in, in the book that I'm sharing. I do have one book here open. In the book, in the book, um, by the way, some people from time to time are accusing us of following the Catholic belief regarding the regarding the Trinity. Yeah, and um, and I forgot today to bring the catechism, but I'm going to to bring the explanation to you regarding this topic. Uh, let me let me let me find out this. It is in page 102 in the English version, 102 and 103. Is the Adventist understanding of the Trinity the same? as that held by Roman Catholics? And I'm saying, no, it's not. There is a major difference between Roman Catholics and Seventh-day Adventist views regarding the Trinity. Catholicism looks to the authority of the magisterium. Okay, magisterium means pope, cardinals, bishops, and all the other officers on, in the church. That, that is the living teaching office of the church. <coughs> and the catechism presents a long and complex definition that states, I am page 103, that the Son is begotten, not made. By the way, this is one of the positions very close to one of the pioneers of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, by the way. And they say, um, and goes on to say that, and, and this is quote, since the Father has through generation given the only begotten Son everything that belongs to the Father, except being the Father, the Son has also eternally from the Father, from whom he is eternally born, that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Son. And you are going to find out the quotation at the end. And the quotation, it is Catechism of Catholic Church, um, Libreria Editrici Vaticana, 1997, page 887. In summary, I put here, the Catholic Church teaches, I'm not comparing here, I'm not comparing, but let me share with you that for my understanding, that view 
It is close, I will say, to the Jehovah Witnesses position in certain sense. Because it says, in, in summary, Catholic Church teaches that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Son and the Son from the Father. This concept does not come from the Bible and it's not a teaching of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. That's my understanding. Sometimes, I'm going to share probably, I don't know, maybe tomorrow and, or, the, or the other day, I'm going to share with you in which point I am regarding the Trinity and regarding the Godhead, because I am continuing uh, studying about the topic with a, with a question coming, you are going to prepare yourself for, for the questionings. And, and every time that I'm going deep in the Bible, I'm going to, to search and find some things that is good to share with, uh, for our uh, basic position. I, I, I've been sharing first thing with my wife, and I say, I am an heretic if I'm going to do this. And she, at the beginning, was shocked with that. And she said, I never heard that. I, I say, I, I know, but uh, what do you think? And uh, let me explain to you this. And I began to explain. And, and finally, we became a had again, um, you know, united in our conception. But sometimes uh, that is part of our problem uh, regarding this topic. And I'm going to share with you uh, probably um, about tomorrow about this um, regarding the topic. The Godhead doctrine in the Seventh-day Adventist Church has been moving according to the original background of the pioneers, even from the time of William Miller. And um, by the way, William Miller, and here is the information with you. Remember, he was converted from deism to Baptist. And Baptists were uh, Trinitarians. And and he said, this is William Miller, quotation, I believe in one living and true God and that there are three persons in the Godhead, the three persons of the triune God are connected. And um, however, this is the curiosity is regarding what you say a moment ago. This is, this is the, the point. Joshua Himes, he was a close associate to William Miller, and he, the background of him was a Christian connection. So what was his belief regarding the topic? He did not believe in the Trinity. And he was associated with William Miller. That is quite interesting for me, because um, that, well, that is the point in which the pioneers were at the beginning. Because when, when some people say, let's go to the faith of the pioneers, the pioneers were not in this, you know, condition in which we are today. They got kicked out of their churches. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, when the pioneers were objecting to the Trinity, weren't they objecting to the Catholic version of it? The three in one and the... I'm going to enter into that. This afternoon? No, no, tomorrow in the morning. Oh, 
um, there are several points why they reject, but this is one of them. And I'm, I'm going to, to, to search that point. I'm going to answer this in the presentation, um, tomorrow in the morning in the presentation. So um, uh, the pioneers, the, the, the pioneers uh, regarding this topic were not like we are in this, uh, in this situation because they didn't have a fundamental beliefs or articles of faith. By the way, when you read, when you read some articles of faith of the churches, maybe 100 years ago, 200 years ago, they were very complex to accept, by the way. Because even the Bible, with the difficulties that sometimes may have, are easier to read than those complex articles of faith. Humanly made, you know. Um, Joseph Bates, another of the pioneers and followers of, of Miller, respecting the Trinity, I conclude that it was unimpossible. This is answering your question in certain sense. For me to believe that the Lord Jesus, the Son of the Father, was also the Almighty God. And um, you are going to see that um, James White, for example, uh, the inexplicable trinity that makes the Godhead three in one and one in three is bad enough, but, but the ultra-Unitarians Unitarians, that make Christ inferior to the Father is worse. So this is an interesting reflection coming from James White. And this is telling you that was not everything fixed yet. The, they were reflecting. They were in a, in a process of transition. And they were open uh, to accept the movement of that. Tomorrow we are going to enter into what makes the transition into that. And we are going to answer that, that question uh, tomorrow in the morning. Okay, see you tomorrow then. God bless you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.